Hello there, boxing fans around the world. Thank you for joining us once again on Talk and Fight for another episode of the Friday Night Panel, featuring yours truly, as well as Mike Gorat Bourne. Tonight, we have a very special guest coming in uh, from across, not, not across the pond, but across the lake, uh, who's down in uh, Buffalo, New York, who's been in the boxing industry for over 30 years, probably close to 40 years, and has done so many things, it would take me quite, well, take me the entire hour uh, to describe his list of accomplishments. Um you, you've seen that list, right, Mike? You know what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. You know what? It's probably better that we have him explain those list of accomplishments to us. <laughs> he, he could probably he could probably give us a much a much shorter version, but still cover yep. everything. Boxing fans, we have Rick Blazer joining us tonight. Uh, he's been in the managerial, uh, well, actually every aspect of the uh, business of boxing uh, across his uh, adulthood. I'm sure. Uh, maybe he can explain how he got into it as as a child. Maybe perhaps potentially box. I, that I'm not sure about. So let's br let's bring him on, uh, Eric. If you can bring in Rick, there we are. Hi, Rick. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me tonight. Thank thanks you very much for welcoming welcome me on the, on the show and uh, fire away with anything you have to ask. I'm uh, I'm an open book. All right, that's awesome. Uh, I did read on your website. In fact, you were such an open book. Uh, give me a call is basically what you're saying on your website. Give me a call. How, anyway, sure. uh, so during that introduction, one of my questions that just popped into my head was uh, how, early, how early on in your life did you actually get involved in boxing? Like, uh, were, were um, you boxing as a kid? or uh, No, I, I never. I, the only gloves I ever had on were winter gloves. Um, <laughs> I uh, never had work gloves on. Um, I uh, I uh, took a fancy to boxing in uh, 1971. I was reading about the upcoming Muhammad Ali Joe Frazier fight, which was of course legendary, March 8th, um, 1971. And um, I went to the local movie theater, which was showing it on closed circuit. And I asked um, I asked my uh, my mother to drop me off. I, I was I was a kid. I, Oh boy! Hello. Hello. Yep. Yeah, I, I lost you here. I don't know what I did wrong here. Hold on, it just everything went blank. Hold on. Um. So let's start all over again. Something, <laughs> something went wrong. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't find you guys. I I don't see anything. It's blank. Like I can hear you fine. Okay. Can you see me? Uh, we can uh, see Eric says, our producer says you might need to refresh. I don't know how to do that. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I can see you guys or not. Can you guys see me? Yes, yeah. we can. We can. We can see you. Okay. Here, yeah. That's good. Okay. That's then we're good. Okay. So what happened was I went to the movie theater, watched the fight, and every time a punch is thrown, whether they land. Well, there goes and, I. And I think I think we lost him completely that time. That's unfortunate. There was, uh, was there, there is a big snowstorm where he lives, and uh, I wonder if that has anything to do with this connection. It might. It might. Uh, should we touch? Should we touch on the fights while we're waiting? Then I guess because we got some uh, we got sure. some big fights this weekend. Which one do you want to start with, Chris Eubank and uh, Liam Williams, or actually let's start let's start with um, uh, Kudras and uh, Rodriguez card. Yeah, go for Rodriguez, it. Rodriguez, 14-0, uh, 10 KOs. Uh, this is a guy that I talked about uh, 
the, actually last week, I believe it was, announced the promotional deal with Eddie Hearn in Matchroom last week. And yes, we did talk about him. Um, that world title tilt now comes in his first fight with Hearn. And uh, it's going to be this weekend, man, against Kudras, who's 39-4 and one with 27 KOs. And he's aiming to repeat his victory, uh, you know, over uh, Rung, Rungvasi, where he ripped the green and gold belt from the Thai star in May of 2014 in his Mexico home, man. But now the 33-year-old is refocused on his new test, and that's the young Rodriguez, man. And honestly, right. it's, it's, it's gearing up to be a good one. Uh, also on this card, uh, Raymond Ford. Uh, I've talked about him. He is looking to stay undefeated against Edward Velasquez for the WBA Continental America's Feather title. So that's going to be great, man. Uh, great action. Also, Jamie Mitchell against Carly Skelke is, uh, is in the works uh, for this card as well. And that's for the WBA World Female Bantam title. Also, Lorenzo Smith is taking on Fernando Diaz for the WBC United States Fly title. And uh, Lorenzo Smith is looking to keep his unbeaten record untarnished and walk away with the WBC United States belt. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be a great card. There he is. So I, I don't know what happened. Excellent. I I I turned it on the phone whole phone off and back on and came back <laughs> on. Okay. So I uh, went to the fight in '71. Loved it and started watching every fight, buying every boxing magazine, re reading every newspaper article I could. And the next thing I know is, um, I was uh, in the business full time. And um, 20 years later, after studying the the business, the sport, and everything else, and uh, I um, I took a you know I took a real liking to it immediately, and I, and I got rid of my my business, my regular business, um, immediately within six months, and I was off and running. And that was uh, 1991, and 31 years later, uh, I'm a New York State Hall of Fame inductee. Um, I'm an elector at the Hall of Fame in Canastota. Hopefully, I'll be in the Hall of Fame in Canastota eventually. And um, what I become is a I, I'm a supplier of qual. I'm a provider, a supplier of quality supplemental services to the boxing business worldwide. Um, I, I actually, I heard you mention management. I've actually never managed a fighter. I've been, I promoted fighters. I've been their advisor, been their agent, but I actually never managed a fighter. Um, and um, I love what I do. I do it 24-7, 365. Um, my typical day starts at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, 3 o'clock actually these days. Um, and then I finish up about uh, one o'clock and I get about two to three hours worth of sleep. I work for a couple hours, go back to sleep for a couple hours, and then I'm off and running for the rest of the day and night. So uh, I, I require about four hours worth of sleep a day. My wife calls me an animal. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, so you, you, you're a matchmaker. Well, I, I, it's one of the things I do. I'm, I'm an I'm international agent, broker, and advisor. Most of my business, I really don't really, I'm not really a matchmaker anymore because I don't do complete shows ever since I got cancer in 2016. Um, I, I stopped traveling and I stopped being a matchmaker. And I, most of my business is over the phone and over the internet. Uh, what was, um, what was uh, one of your, I guess, most memorable matches that you put together? Um, you know, I, you know, the list would go on and on. Um, Paul Spadafore's victory. Um, and I worked with Paul for forever. Um, uh, was his matchmaker. Um, 
him when he won the title and he was nine Oh and one in IBF title fights. Um, you know, Joe Calzaghe, Roy Jones and Madison square garden. That was literally all me. Um, just, you know, you just, after a while, they all blend together and they're like, one big <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. you, you, you don't even know, you know, you can't even remember your, sometimes you can't even remember your role in that fight. You knew you were involved, but was I his agent? Was I his advisor? Was I the matchmaker? You sort of have to like sort of put it together. You know what I'm saying? That's what 31 years of, of, of boxing does to you. You know, you just don't know what you did that you, what you did, like, like your Canadian uh, uh, Olympian, Billy Irwin, um, I was his promoter, and, and um, I got him two world title fights, you know, one in 2000 with Spadafora and one in, uh, um, in uh, 2000, whatever year it was, 2005 with, uh, with Juan Diaz. So it just, uh, sometimes you got to think of what your role was exactly. But, you know, here I am 31 years later loving what I do for a living, and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I got married late in life. Part of it was because of boxing. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing about that either. That's awesome. Within the sport itself, uh, a couple of issues have come up uh, recently. In particular, we've discussed them at great length on this show. Uh, one would be whether or not a union uh, might benefit uh, Boxers Now or a Players Association, as it's called in other sports industries. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think uh, Do you think the players are the, the boxers fighters, themselves? Um, the fighters are ready are ready for a the, no not on not on the pay scale level, okay? Because they're getting paid well, okay? It's on the the, the areas that they are, need is health insurance, a pension, and also um, some kind of because the fighters are so some most of them are very uneducated. They need financial guidance. And I think if they mm. brought on people that were financial counselors, that were career professional financial advisors, and they offered a pension, a pension and they had a um, health insurance I, for beyond boxing, um, I really think it would be a great, um, a great asset to the sport. No question about that. Yeah, we've seen it on, on both ends of the spectrum. One in the development of younger boxers and on the other end of the spectrum when, when, with those boxers who have retired and have nothing to fall back on. Uh, so, so, yeah, so in those two, no, if they're in the game, they don't really need that help in terms of uh, uh, the financial end. Uh, having said that, you know, you know here's another uh, opinion-based question for you. In the heavyweight division, we've got our top five heavyweights. I don't know if you're following the heavyweights or not, but uh, the heavyweight's pretty clogged up, okay? And the other day, I was having a great conversation with uh, Christian von Spanak over in, in England, and he was saying, you know, what might be a solution is to unclog it by having a tournament style, a Grand Prix event over the span of, say, a year uh, to see who among those below that top five uh, would actually be, uh, you know, among the next heavyweight contenders. Uh, because the point differential, if you take a look at box racket, the point differential between the top five, like the, the guy who, who kept his uh, WBA heavyweight uh, belt this weekend, Trevor Bryant, okay, he's, he's ranked 38 on that list. And his point total is six. 
I think Alexander Yusek's point total is like 400 and something. So the point differential is a humongous. And so there needs to be some unclogging in that top. And, and we know that, you know, Yusek and Fury, uh, uh, you know, are probably ultimately going to battle it out after their, I'm guessing, their respective wins if uh, Fury beats White and if uh, Yusek beats Anthony Joshua again. It sets up that. But, but in the meantime, there's a slew of heavyweight contenders, which, which Mike, is, he brings up all the time. But from your perspective, uh, what do you think? Uh, is, there, is there a way to unclog that heavyweight division? No, no. They can't even find a guy to, uh, to be an IBF eliminator right now. They've had eight guys turn it down to fight uh, uh, Felipe Havovic and an IBF eliminator going down the list. How are they going to get all these fighters together? There's not a prayer. They can't even get one, one fight together. Everybody's posturing. Everybody's on their own. See, here's the problem that you have, okay? And people don't recognize this. Certain fighters bring their uh, bring foreign TV money to the table from their country, so they don't have to go out and fight anybody real challenging because their their TV is basically paid for by the TV in their country. So they're not mm -hmm. going to go out and fight a risky fight and blow that up because if they lose, right. if they, they they most of them have a one loss agreement. And they'll think that if you lose a fight, that the agreement's you know um, terminated. So nobody's going to do that. That's the problem you got. And, and TV, TV and streaming today is dictating so much to what these fighters are doing that it's um, it's put it in a whole different sphere, different level, and um, where these people don't want to fight one another. And also the promoters, the promoters don't want to put because. You know, this guy doesn't want to lose to this guy's fighter. This guy will lose his payday. You know, people ask me, well, how come Javante Davis doesn't fight anybody? I said, well, that kid would fight Godzilla. The problem is Mayweather has no other moneymakers besides Javante Davis. So he's got to keep milking that one one horse along. And that's why they won't put him in with anybody very good. So it all goes back to this, that theory to the heavyweights right there. I mean, it just... That's the way it is. It's it, it, We can sit here and talk about it, and we can waste our time because it is a waste of time. It's not happening. Wow. So if, if, for example, someone came along with a shit ton of money and put it on the table, it still wouldn't happen? Nope. Because wow. it doesn't meet the promoter's agendas. Every promoter has a different agenda for how they run their business and how they want to conduct their business with that fighter. And what they have is a game plan for that fighter. It's a fact. Wow. It's not something we. It's not something we face as far as the the general boxing enthusiast, but it's the re, it's the reality of the business. Right. Well, in that case, uh, the women are bringing a breath of, breath of fresh air to this sport. That's What's right. It? That's it. The women are bringing a breath of fresh air to the sport. Then that's for sure. No, it just. It's not a pretty look. Let's put it that way to you. The whole, the whole <laughs> uh, situation. No, it's not. It's not. It's unfortunate because you know it, there's a lot of a lot of really good talent in that heavyweight division. And, sure, there is. And and it's unfortunate that we don't get to see as much as it as we could, and as often as we could, because there is a slew of fighters sitting in the background waiting uh, for their shot to just you know be in that top ten at least. At least. Agreed. So who are you following then? Uh, who are you working with these days? What, what's on your agenda? Um, now working with a Canadian, uh, a young Canadian, Spencer Wilcox. He's going to turn pro March 25th in uh, Montreal. I'm working with him. Are you familiar with uh, Spencer Wilcox? I've heard of uh, him, yes. 
Um, yeah, he's uh, he's turning pro. He's I think twenty one years old. He's uh, a very tall, uh, very good looking uh, young man from uh, Hamilton, and um, he had a very good amateur background. He can punch, he can box, and uh, he looks like the complete package, including Golden Boy type good look. So, uh, you know, hope to do something well with him. And um, you know, I'm working with quite a few fighters as an advisor, as the um, you know Arthur Bleznov. Uh, I have not heard of him. The Chechen Wolf from Toronto? No, I haven't uh, I haven't heard of him, actually. Graham, see, these, are some, him? these are some new ones. These are some good guys you're going to put me well, on. Awesome. I, I believe he's 9-0 and with 7. I, I work with him. I'm his advisor. And um, he's from Toronto. Um, just work with a lot of fighters, you know, all over the world. And, uh, you know, I have small pieces of fighters, 5-6%, and as the advisor and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm happy with that. It works well for me. I'm not, I'm not the main guy, and I don't want to be because it's too much responsibility, and I've got too many corporate accounts I have to worry about, you know, the promoters and TV networks and casinos and stuff like that to um, to handle fighters because you become a high-priced babysitter, and I'm not going to do that. Mm. <laughs> I'd rather re- – I'd rather uh, – I'd rather – uh, render the advice and call and, and, and move the fighters along in the organizations and do my job in that area rather than, um, you know, deal with fighters on a da- daily basis. It's too hard. There are enough hours in a day now for me. So, so for example, a casino would call you up and say, uh, we're looking to put on an event or a monthly event. And, um, uh, not exactly. Um, they, they'll call me and say, what do you think of this, um, on this TV network, this fight, this, this situation, blah, blah, blah. What can we, and, and should we buy this show? They want X amount of dollars from me, from us. And, uh, they, you know, they want to know what, how much they can get away with selling the tickets for. And I have a general idea in their area, how, what the fight means, the boxing, it will be well watched on TV because I want to know for the exposure, and I, I render, I, I render advice to them, and you know, it's, you know, I don't get a lot of money for that, but it's all money. It all, it all adds up at the end of the year. Without a doubt, you mentioned uh, the Toronto boxing scene. Well, in Ontario, as you know, Ken Hayashi, uh, when he was sports commissioner, he didn't it. allow. He, he ruined well, it. Took, yeah. took the word, took the words out of my mouth. So uh, um, a lot, of, a lot of the fighting has been going on in Montreal, and. Uh, post-COVID now it started to pick up at least, but it's good to know that you have your ear on the ground uh, with respect to what's happening in Toronto, because I know there've been a few fights up in Brampton very recently. Um, you know, so there's, there's, it's starting to pick up once again, now that Ken Hayashi's out of the picture. But, well, he's uh, been yeah. gone for about five years now, to be honest with you. The thing that slowed it down was the COVID and the, yeah. the, and the government's been shut everything down up there in boxing. But um yeah. He, he he was a cancer to professional boxing in Ontario. His yep. reign his reign was absolutely it was a it was a hit it was a Hitler type of reign. It really was yep. really killed boxing off. It, it, I mean, it was terrible. And yep. you know, I had a, right when I met the guy the first time over the phone, I had a beef with him. And Billy Irwin and Tom Gillespie were making their pro debuts in in, in um, Niagara Falls, Ontario, or I think it was maybe it was Toronto. I can't even remember anymore. And they, both guys were in first round knockouts, and he turned down a lot of guys for both. And he settled with these two guys. You got me. You screwed me. Those were bums. I said, No, you got two Olympians that can fight. 
after that, he just kept every kept raising the bar all the time. It was just a fun. It was terrible. It was a horrible experience. It's this is not a place you're going to build up fighters. You got to these guys got to fight, and I keep putting them in. They kept winning, 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 winning. It was my fault. It was unbelievable. This guy, yeah. you know what a horrible yeah. human being. One of the worst I've ever met. Seriously. If I had to rate a top 10 horrible person in boxing list over my 31 years, he'd be easily been supplanted in that top 10. Easily. Wow. <laughs> uh, Rick, in, in your opinion, what uh, what do you think needs to be done in Ontario to, to resurrect it? Um, more, more fan awareness from the promoters, for starters, you know, and the fighters themselves. Um. The fighters don't seem to promote themselves. They do in Montreal. Um, I think they've got to get away from the center of Toronto and go to these a little smaller facilities in the around the edges of Toronto because things things get lost in the shuffle in Toronto because it's such a big booming uh, city. And if you went to the smaller areas like Oakville, right on the edge. You would do better business in a smaller community where the people would be more well aware of, a, of an event. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Yeah, everybody out there listening has heard that. And that's exactly yeah, makes total sense. Uh, I, I know there's like we we have had smaller events uh, like in Brampton and stuff like that, but yeah, even further out like Oakville, Oshawa, Pickering, there's there's all these small places, and then I guess. Yeah, it would be up to the promoters and the fighters to promote and get things going here, definitely. Yeah, it's it's also too expensive to run a show up there. The insurance, the rental factor, it's a little bit ugly. Everybody needs to cooperate. Everybody here is professional boxing. They're trying to gouge. It's not like mm -hmm. that. It's, gra it's grassroots boxing, and, and you can't gouge on grassroots boxing. Speaking of uh, guys in the industry who've had their ups and downs, Don King last weekend put on an event and uh, we, you know, we realistically hadn't heard his name in professional boxing for quite some time, but he put on an event. It was relatively successful. It was a pretty small, but to your point about small venues, it was a pretty small venue, I believe in Ohio. Uh, mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you know, uh, he put on uh, some, some, you know, I think there were six different titles up for grabs. Six, yeah, six titles. Six titles. So, so, so it makes me wonder, you know, if they're going out to these smaller venues, these smaller centers, uh, you'll get a more uh, a more excited crowd, if you will, as opposed to putting yeah, into a big absolutely, absolutely. Too many people in the casinos are sitting ringside to get free tickets. Are sitting on their hands. They're not jumping up and down. The guy is buying his ticket for fifty, sixty bucks. It, that blue collar guy, he gets excited. It, it, it's it's a lot of it's locale. It's a lot of it is um, demographics. It's just the way it is. Boxing is a boxing's a true blue collar sport. You know, I mean, yeah, the high rollers, the gamblers, they come to the big events. But when you're talking about a small event in a small town, it's the local people, the local iron worker, the local construction worker. That that's the guy that driving the ticket sales. Brings his son. Brings his son-in-law. That's what it's about. You know what I mean? And Don, Don recognizes that. And they had a nice turnout of 2,500 people the other night in a small town, a small war out in Steel Town. So there, yeah. there's your answer right there. He wouldn't and have got 2,500 for that show if it was down in South Florida. There you go. Mm -hmm. Too many things to do. 
Right. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on the, uh, the, the Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano? Well, I'm not a believer in women's boxing. I don't enjoy it myself. I'm old school. But it's as big of a women's fight as been since uh, um, Layla Ali and uh, Jackie Frazier in the early 2000s. So that's like 20 years ago, 21 years ago. So it's a big fight. No question about it. It's a big fight. And, um, you know, it's um, – it's the it's the cream I, I, it's the cream of the crop of ladies of women's boxing. Let's put it that way too. Yeah, it certainly is. Oh, yeah. it certainly is. What, what about what about these comments that were coming uh, out in, in the in the wake of the uh, Tyson Fury Dillian White connection when they finally agreed to a deal uh, where they said, well, there may not be a pay per view opportunity for this fight in America. What, what do you think about that? It's going to be a pay-per-view in America. Um, I don't know. I don't know where people get to, you got to, how are you going to pay for $41 million? Got to be pay-per-view. It's got to be pay-per-view in the UK. It's got to be pay-per-view in America. It's got to be sold to countries all over the world. They got to do a massive walk, massive crowd. I mean, you're going to have, have an awful lot of revenue streams to pay for 41 million. Um, I, in my mind, what I think it'll do in numbers, it'll do, I think it grosses somewhere around 47 to $48 million in my mind, uh, after paying off the, um, the, uh, any, you know, uh, any cable providers in the U S they're going to go, um, ESPN plus, um, uh, ESPN plus app, uh, pay-per-view and they're not going to go cable or satellite. Uh, but I think it does well. I think um, I think it'll be a real sell because I think both of them have big mouths, and that's a good thing. And when you're promoting a pay-per-view event, especially, and um, Bob Arum, Frank Warren doesn't get more iconic than those two, um, and the press r- writes everything Frank and Bob say. So I think it's a natural fit. I really do. I think it's a. I think I think did they overpay? Um, no, they didn't really overpay because. I'm sure Tyson Fury's working on a less guarantee than the percentage would indicate on the winning call. So they didn't really overpay. They wanted to control the promotion and Tyson Fury wanted his people to have control of the promotion. So right. they worked it out beforehand and there's probably a guarantee at X amount of dollars in their form. And he's probably not getting his full uh, 80% of the, of the, of the revenue of the um, purse bid. It was worked out beforehand. I'm sure it was. What do you think about the insides of the deals? Uh, that's what you're, you're giving us the insides of how it all works. I like that. The breakdown. Yeah. It's what you, you didn't have me on for my good looks or my table, man. <laughs> no, no wait, we, we, we had it on for your expertise. Thank which, you. brings me to my, which brings me to my next question. Uh, Bob Aaron uh, recently said that he didn't make any money off Terrence Crawford. I find that hard to believe. Uh, I, I, I know he didn't. He did, did not. He did not. Wow. No, not not on the shows in the end. In other words, I'm not saying along the way when he was a lightweight lightweight champ and a junior welterweight champ, but when he was starting to pay him four, four and a half, five, six million a fight, no, he didn't yep. make any money. <laughs> so, nope. who's going to win that lawsuit? So, not even a contest. Aaron will blow him away. <laughs> wow, Please. it's as stupid as it comes. I will say. That if Terrence Crawford is owed a fight, if he is, then he, here's the problem with that lawsuit. Okay, 
The lawyers said that he's owed a fight from 2019. He had two for two fights in 2019. It was 2020 he had one fight, right. and the one and but we they were shut down for COVID for a while, and he didn't want to fight with no crowd. He wanted to fight with a crowd, so he held out. Only had one fight that year. Now let's just say he is owed a fight from that year. On November 20th, when he beat Porter, he announced, "I'm now a free agent. I'm done with top rank. Done with Bob Arum. I'm moving on." Right. Well, if he was owed a fight, how's he done with top rank? If you owe them a fight, they owe you a fight. You owe them a fight, too. So you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You understand what I mean? Okay? So he announced himself as a free agent. When you do that, you you know, how you go backwards? The judge will say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You said you were free. Now you're saying you owe a fight. Well, then go. you got to go back to top rank. So, you know, that's how it works. So. We'll see what happens, but there's no racism by Bob Arum, all this crazy, crazy stuff. You know, he didn't hold his career back. This is crazy. So there well, you that's, go. One, that's one of the things that we said. I mean, we said this is the money business. And at the end of the day, Bob Arum's going to make every, he's going to do everything possible to make money. So why would he hold anyone? It's, it's not in his best interest to it, hold anyone. It's back. not. It makes no sense at all. Zero. Right. That's what, that's what we were saying uh, last week. Look at, by the way, look at all the black fighters Bob just signed up in, in the last uh, <laughs> in the last year. Uh, every Olympian, there was okay. Every Olympian, every male Olympian, I should say, uh, one was a Mexican American. The rest of them are, are African American. The mm. list goes on and on. A whole a whole bunch of fighters. So it's totally crazy, you know, really crazy. I mean, look at look at Terry. Look at. Uh, George Foreman said, Tim Bradley came out. They're all coming out. And in Bob's defense, there's no racism there. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I so mean, that's what we were saying. By the way, just to let you know how boxing I am, I got a Johan Boxing Gym t-shirt from Philadelphia. See that? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what, what do you think this is going to do to Crawford's, Crawford's career? Uh, after- well, he was aligned with like Josh Taylor, who's promoted by Aram. Right. So that was, you know, that he shot himself in the foot there. Um, I don't see anybody else making him any offers for that ridiculous money Bob was paying him. And I don't see anybody else jumping and say, I want to fight Terrence Crawford. So sort of like between a rock and a hard place right now. Let's see what Thurman does if, if Thurman wins tomorrow night. Right. Okay. I mean, listen, if Barros wins, they can make Barros and, uh, and, um, Terrence Crawford, the problem is there's no public demand for it. There is public demand for Thurman, and and what, what I think Thurman will price himself out. Okay? Yeah. So that's my opinion. Are you watching the fights tomorrow night? Am I watching the fights tomorrow night? Am I watching? I'm not watching the pay-per-view. No. No. <laughs> no. No, I'll be watching Bam Rodriguez. Um, Hopefully, yes. Paul's Quadras. He's um, gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna. Yeah, he's he, gonna. I, I'm a believer in him. I'm a big believer in him. Um, I, like I, I just, I here's my view on pay per view. Okay, boxing. It's it's an old model with that the streaming networks came. The streaming apps came in with uh, the Zone with ESPN Plus. They shouldn't be putting fights on, except for the biggest fights. Wilder Fury belonged on pay per view. Porter Crawford was barely pay-per-view. The only reason why it was was because 
Porter was the number one contender, was a two-time champ, and basically was is a top welterweight contender. Okay, I get that. So that was pay-per-view barely. Okay. These other fights that Heyman Al Heyman's putting on PBC, this stuff's not pay-per-view. Now, these guys tomorrow night, let me give you a little of the background. One guy who lost his last fight has been inactive for two and a half years. Okay, the other guy, he got knocked out in his last fight, and now they're fighting on pay-per-view. It sounds like a consolation bout. This is not even a bout that should be on free Fox on, on, a, on a main event on free Fox. This is like a, a like a cool feature and they're getting, you know, and it's just it's not pay-per-view material. We're embarrassing ourselves. I mean, I mean, Martin, uh, Louis, uh, Louis Ortiz and Charles Martin wasn't pay-per-view. None of these fights are pay-per-view. Uh, Tank Davis and um, and the Pitbull there, Cruz, I, I, yeah. I, I sat Cruz. That's not pay-per-view. Pay-per-view so. is for the biggest fights. OK, you know, um. Uh, a pay-per-view fight could be Chocolatito and Estrada again, something like that. That's that, but, but the, you know Eddie Hearn's putting that on on um on um on the zone. But that's a pay-per-view quality fight. Okay, it doesn't go by the weight class; it goes by the best of the best, the popularity of the fighters, the peep fights that are that in public demand that people want to see. And nobody, nobody, nobody in this world says, "I can't wait to see Thurman Barros," or "Are they going to fight?" You know, before it was even announced, "Are they going to fight?" No, nobody asked for that fight. That came out of nowhere, and yeah. and, and, and 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 it's the old Yiddish expression: "It's Drek." <laughs> um, Rick, what what is your thoughts on Eddie Hearn's performance in the USA with uh, Matchroom USA? Basically, a flop. He's Eddie's a great. He's been a great UK promoter, and he has not made a mark in the United States. And I'm not saying he flopped, but he's flopped compared to what he's done in the UK. I'm not saying he's been unsuccessful, but he hasn't been nearly as successful as he should. He didn't hire the right people when he started. Um, too many decisions are being made from the other side of the pond, and it doesn't work over there. A guy sitting in England okay, uh, in London, doesn't know what's happening in Arizona, doesn't know what's happening in California, doesn't understand the demographics, the lay of the land, what events are happening in that area that day, what's on national TV over here that's going to affect everything. They just don't know. I mean, they just don't know. They just don't have a clue. So this is what you got. You, you got a guy that you, you can't serve two masters, and Eddie's serving two masters which is the, basically the U.K. and America, and it's very, very hard to do. Every time Aram does something that's overseas, he brings a partner in, Frank Warren in England, MTK in England, um, Mr. Honda in Japan. He has a partner on the ground over there. Eddie's trying to conquer the world single-handedly. It doesn't work too well. Okay. Are, you, are you familiar with uh, what ProBellum is doing? Of course I am. I just... I, yeah. uh, I just... Uh, I just signed up Spencer Wilcock for ProBellum. So I'm okay, sure. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so, awesome. yes, I'm very familiar with what they're doing. They have a very good business model, um, both promotionally and for as a, as a worldwide media company. And um, they, have a, they have a lot of brains behind it. It's not only Richard Schaefer. There's Harrison Whitman. There's, there's um, oh, God, Eric Winter. Uh, the COO, there's a lot of, and Anthony Cantazaro, there's a lot of intelligent people involved uh, with um, 
with Probellum. And, um, well, Richard was, had Ringstar. He was by himself, Richard Schaefer. Uh, this is a company surrounded by intelligent people. So I think they have a real um, chance to make it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I when I do the news show and I'm reading off a lot of the deals uh, that they're doing on a week-by-week basis is really mind-blowing. They're uh, going around. Well, the- yeah. I'm sorry, excuse me. The, also, the Chechen Wolf from Toronto, uh, the I'm involved with the advisor, he signed up with them too. So there you wow. go. Two guys from Ontario that are signed up with them. Probellum, man, they're, they're making the right moves, it seems like. It looks like they're, yeah. uh, well, they're, they're, they're making they the right moves. They got two shows in March, uh, back to back on the same weekend, and the 18th and 19th of March in Dubai. Uh, they got shows all over the place and all all the time, and they're doing well. They're moving, you know. I mean, they're they're doing well. Yes, they are. They are, and uh, I think I think they're going to become. I think did didn't Richard work with uh, Oscar De La Hoya at one point? Yeah, he he ran the company as president. Okay, so. He's had enough of the shenanigans. I'm going to start things and do things right. So a lot of strategic moves are put into play. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be a huge force in this upcoming two years. Yep. Yep. And, and it's it's not run by Richard. Richard is the the president. But there's a like I said, there's a lot of smart people that are around him. He's not he's not a lone ranger here where he's a lone ranger with rings with the with ring star. Right. So, so uh, Carl's Carl, asked. Carl, go ahead, Carl, go ahead, Carl, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm just going to say, Carl from uh, Last Bell Boxing says uh, hello to you, Rick. Uh, he says you're a legend. Uh, also says the savior of all things promotions in the U.S. And he wanted me to quote quote him, so I did. <laughs> just to do it for you. What did he say? Uh, I'm sorry. He said he said the savior of all things promotions in the U.S. Quote me. <laughs> Carl, Carl, Carl's a good man. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He says, uh, De La Hoya versus Weymether, uh, Way, uh, Mayweather, your thoughts? You mean back in the day or you mean them fighting again? Back, back in the day, Carl, or them fighting again? We got to know. Uh, I hope they don't fight again. Neither of them should grace a boxing ring again. And uh, <laughs> they'll, 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 you know, they let, let the people, let their legacy be the fight that they already had. Right, right. I think, uh, I think, I think at one point you should just, not not jump back in the ring. There's there's yeah, and those two guys that shouldn't. My my thoughts on that Mayweather are we uh, we once had a show with uh, that was uh, hosted by the uh, Canadian heavyweight champ Bola Ray, and he did an entire uh, show to, that the devoted to Floyd Mayweather and how he should not have been uh, he should not have left the the an undefeated uh, record in place because he he lost three fights according to to bola uh, over the, over the span of his uh, career so it was a blemished record in, in his opinion so anyway so floyd mayweather just kind of comes to mind <laughs> so I, I don't know it's, it's it's a huge debate in the boxing community whether he should well there, should, the rumor the, there's our there's rumors it's about to happen so i, I don't know what uh, he's re-entering the ring yeah, that uh, that De La Hoya and Mayweather might happen again. Really? Yeah. Let's let's, let's, hold, let's hope not. It's another circus. I don't like those ex- exhibition things and old timers, and it's just a joke, you know. It's. Um, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Jake Paul and the way he's promoting things? Then. 
Mm, listen, he's done well for himself. Um, he's bringing new eyeballs to boxing. Whether they stay or not is a different issue. I don't know that. It's, it's too early to say. But um, so far, so good. You know, I um, mean, he, he does some fun stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't buy that celebrity-type boxing stuff. Um, but, it's, um, you know, you, you, you know he, he's got gumption. And um, you got to respect what he's done so far. And he's done well so far. So let's see how it pans out going forward and see where it goes from here. Do you think, do you think that his uh, promotional company has a chance in, in boxing? Depends who's involved with it. Depends who's who's um, who's helping run it. Um, if we were relying on just Jake Paul, I don't know that. But you know, let's see if there's boxing guys, business executives. Let's see who's involved. I don't know that. Um, do I think they have a chance? Well, sure, they have a chance. They have money. They have. Um, he's got notoriety. He's done well for himself so far. So he's a natural promoter. So maybe maybe it does well. I, I, I can't. I don't think it's going to make a big in, imprint boxing, but he might be might be a third level promoter or something like that. But he's not going to be able to compete with the the top ranks. And you know, geez, you know, just it's pretty tough. Out of curiosity, uh, we were talking about this the other day with Bob Arum hitting ninety odd years plus. Does, does, and you were mentioning executives at the pro bellum level. Uh, what are his executives like? Uh, like oh, they're, they're, they're the tops in the business. Um, he's got his uh, his stepson, uh, Todd DeBuff, as the um, president. Um, Bob's a chairman. They have a COO, uh, Brad Jacobs. He used to run USA um, uh, Network over here, the boxing. Um, he's excellent. Um, they've got two fabulous, the two best matchmakers in the business, Hall of Famer uh, Brad, uh, Bruce Strampler and eventual Hall of Famer Brad Goodman. They've got Carl Moretti, uh, from who's um, who ran main events for years. Um, you know, they've got a full staff of seven executives. They have a, they have an in-house lawyer. They have an in-house uh, chief financial officer. They've got it all in place. You know, they got a top PR staff. You know, they they're in business. Upon Bob's final demise, they won't miss a step. Good for them because uh, I know when when Mike uh, reads off a lot a lot of the up and coming signings uh, to top rank. I mean we're, we're we're not surprised, but we are we are curious. Uh, you know how that company will will move Listen, on. It's a it's a question that's the, the the three questions I get asked every week. What happens when Bob Arum dies? Okay, the top rank is one. Okay, um, you know, and uh, of course, you know. You know, you know, Mike Mike Tyson versus Rocky Marciano, who'd win? You know that, <laughs> that stupid one. That stupid one. Um, and um, the other basic question is that um, you know, how do you make a living in boxing? How, how do you do that? So, you know, you're not a manager, you're not a promoter, but like, how do you do that? Well, I broker deals every day, and I get let I render advice. What can I tell you? So, <laughs> I get I, I, you should see. I'll tell you guys a funny story. Okay, so I met my wife, and she tries to explain to my her brother and her father what I do for a living, and they were standing there scratching their heads, like what do you call? So the brother gets on the computer, and he says, "Well, he ain't lying." So <laughs> you know, thirty pages came up. So. You know, Don King henchman, this, this, blah, blah, blah. Well, he ain't lying. 
if this is his favorite blazer, but it said, you know, some of them said Williamsville, New York, Buffalo. So, yeah, it was me. So, it's tough to explain to people what I do for a living. You know, I'll tell you guys one really funny story that I tell people, and they people go, they hit the deck. So, I was on a, I was, I got bumped up to first class. I was in New York City and I was flying to, um, uh, Palm Beach, and I was going to spend some time down there, you know, like a month, six weeks, you know, a little vacation, do business with Don King, you know, normal shit. And uh, I'm sitting next to this woman. She's wearing a, a Rolex with diamonds. She's wearing, you know, got the Gucci purse. You know, she's real, you know, she reeked the money. Yeah. She says, so what do you do for a living? She says to me. I said, after we talked for a few minutes, I says, oh, I, I says, I says, uh, I'm a, um, I says, I'm in the boxing business. She says, corrugated. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 wait, I says, no, professional boxing business. You know, she says that, oh, you have a doctorate in it. <laughs> <laughs> so she was at oblivious. So I just said, okay, yes, I do. <laughs> so, oh my God. I mean, I mean, um, I had another one, another guy, person say to me one time. So, um, what do you, uh, a guy, and he says, um, you know, what do you do for a living? I says, I'm in the professional boxing business. The only thing I know about Lennox about it is Lennox Lewis is world heavyweight champ. I said he, he's been retired for six years. So, you, <laughs> so there you go. So, it's a, uh, you know, said. So, it's a it's a weird thing when you tell somebody you're in boxing. You know whether it's a whether when I, you know whether it's a, a, a woman you're trying to date. I had a woman that um, I didn't know what she did for exactly what she did for a living, but she, I knew she was a nurse, but I didn't know what kind. So I didn't tell her what I did. I just told her that you know I'm I'm, I'm a businessman. I negotiate business deals. A guy comes up to me in a restaurant. He asked me for my autograph for his son. That his son's a big fan of mine. So I saw you on TV the other night when you uh, would sit, sit next to Don King. Well, she knew who Don King was. The woman stormed out of the place. She was all mad. She gets up. She goes, you lied to me. You know what she did for a living? She worked, she worked with head trauma victims. Oh. <laughs> she, she wasn't exactly a big boxing fan. <laughs> so there you go. I, I had a prior girlfriend. Here's another one. I had a prior girlfriend that she hated boxing. And that's why we broke up. She couldn't stand it. She couldn't stand telling people I did for a living. Um she was into the you know the arts, you know, the 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 plays, the you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, theater stuff. And I'm into sports, you know, in general, but boxing in particular, and she couldn't stand it. And she just said, you know, we're not, to, you know, we shouldn't be together. We're opposite people in that respect. I don't respect that you put people in a ring to beat, hit each other in the head. And, uh, you know, it just didn't work. So it's, it, it, listen, and then you've had other women that like, oh, my God, I, you know, they think that the, the, they think it's really cool what I do for a living. My wife thought it was cool. So my wife watched boxing with her father and her brother. She grew up watching it. So she thought it was cool. And I got a little lucky there. If she hated boxing, I'd still be single. Just imagine. <laughs> Why could she like boxing? <laughs> true that. True that. Oh, man, yes. Do you feel, though, that uh, boxers should continue? There's no concussion protocol in boxing. 
But should should fighters be allowed to continue? Well, there I mean, is, not- excuse me for interrupting. There is actually yeah. a, a concussion protocol because if you get a concussion in boxing, they the commission suspends you uh, indefinitely to, uh, for a minimum of ninety days. Then you have to get head tests, MRI, neurology tests, all kinds of CAT scan, all that kind of stuff. So there is there actually is um, wow. yes concussion protocol. Yep. If yeah, there's no so, health, if there's, if there's, if the boxer doesn't have health insurance, how how is that covered in the U.S.? Uh, because of the, um, it's covered because the promoter, of the next fight that wants to put him in his next fight, will sometimes will pay for it, or sometimes the insurance from the bout that he was already in will pay for it. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's something we wondered often. Um, well, I answered another question. Keep going. Come on now. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm reading this comment about uh, one of our favorite subjects here, Lennox Lewis. Now, let me give you a bit of a backgrounder. He was born in Britain, but when his uh, dad left the family, him and uh, his mom moved to Canada. He was raised in Canada. He was trained in Canada by Canadians. He went to the Olympics twice. Uh, at the second Olympics, he won the gold for Canada. Mm-hmm. And then as a, as a young adult, uh, he moved over back to England. Uh, as a dual citizenship uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, continued a great pro career over in England. Um, but Carl is saying to clarify some comments uh, that you'd made, something about Jamaican and Canadian and whatever. Yeah, I have no idea. his father was Jamaican. His father was Jamaican. Correct. Mm-hmm. So... So there's no way you can have triple citizenship. So uh, no, no, I no, no. Say, I didn't say triple citizenship. I said he's claimed by by the people of three countries: yes. uh, Canada, uh, the UK, which is not a country; it, the England's the country, but the kingdom, and um, Jamaica. So I mean, yes, you know, no question. I mean, he was a, he's he was a great heavyweight, and he's well respected, great champion. Remember, very unusual. He left the game with the title intact. Yeah, he, he he was world champ when he retired. That's very undisputed, rare. Yeah. Un, undis, undisputed and walked a, and and retired. And it's yep. he's the last undisputed heavyweight champion in boxing. There you go. Right, and then we had the four belt era. There's never been an undisputed champion since we've had four belts in the heavyweight division. Yep, correct though. Yeah, man. Oh. Some big fights this weekend though. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Yeah, I I, I really like um, Bam Rodriguez uh, Quadras fight. That's a great fight. Um, that's what I'm looking for, forward to, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a great fight. And then we have uh, Eubank and uh, Liam. Yeah, that's good. That's a good fight too. That definitely I'm is a good fight to too. Yeah. So, I, what's your, I, I what's your what, thoughts I on the outcome? I fa- I favor Liam. I do. I think he's a tough. I think, I think he's a tough, gritty guy, and I think he'll get it done. Yeah, I think so as well. I think it's going to be great. A lot of good fights to watch this weekend. To all the fans out there that are watching us, you know what it is, man. There's there's tons of fights, tons of cards. It's finally boxing is getting back underway with uh, with I guess uh, the UK opening up with their fights, uh, taking the month yeah. of January off, and it's now over since it's now February. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Carl says uh, Eubank beats Williams. Uh, Ray from last Ray, Ray also says Eubank beats Williams. Uh, should be a good one. I can't. Uh, I can't wait for this fight. This card gets underway at, uh, I believe, it's uh, two p.m. Eastern Standard Time for all those people in uh, in North America. I um, just to let you know, I like Williams because he's a gritty guy, and 
you uh, when you fight a, a gritty guy fights a stylist who's not a great puncher, normally the gritty guy gets in on him. So I think that that's going to be you know a fight that will be in the trench. I know Eubanks is not going to want to do the fighting. It's going to be Le- Le- Liam Williams, but I think Liam Williams can can handle it. So it's going to it's definitely a fight. It's a it's a fight about levels. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. No question. Definitely about a fight it. about levels. No good, Graham. What else you got? Come on now, fire away now. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I love, I love talking to guys uh, about history, uh, the history of the sport, and the changes that have taken place in the sport over the over the decades. Uh, I myself, as a youngster, was watching the Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, uh, go back and forth, the tilts that they had. Uh, obviously, long before. Uh, I mean, I, quite frankly, it was on a black and white television. Uh, <laughs> that's how long ago it was, but uh, and then you know you, you you go through these various eras, and I'm I'm a fan of the heavyweights. And uh, something that we were discussing the other day was um, the size, the actual size of Tyson Fury, and how many of these heavyweights are truly super heavyweights, like uh, you know six foot nine, and uh, you know closing in on three hundred pounds. Like those are big boys, and uh, you know. I, I don't want to see another division. I think we have enough divisions. I think it's enough. But I am, you know, I am, like, I am seeing the, how do you say it? Uh, the grooming, the grooming of these much bigger heavyweights. Uh, Jared Anderson would be a great example. I think he's got a great future ahead of him. Uh, I really like him. Um, I forget that fellow you interviewed, Mike. Uh, uh, but oh. he's, he, who? Uh, 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 you're talking about Matty. Maddie. Maddie, yes. Maddie Harris. Maddie Harris. Maddie Harris. Yes. Another big kid, so, man. Six foot nine, coming out, coming out of the UK. He's a big boy. So he, Six nine, two seventy. He's gonna be. Uh, he's got a lot, lot to, a lot to, lot to do in this sport for sure. At that size. So I think, I think, uh, you know, I think Eddie, Eddie. Hearn, so I was saying this rather jokingly the other day. I said, you know, so Eddie Hearn's got himself a bit of a dilemma. Uh, because he's he's got both Dillian White and uh, Anthony Joshua in his stable, and if they both lose, I was I was making the joke. I wonder if he's got his feelers out uh, for unsigned heavyweights right now. Because if those two guys both lose, I don't know who else he's got in his stable. <laughs> well, he's still got a piece of Usak, so you know he's still involved there. So, oh, does he? I didn't know that. Yep. Good to know. Good to know. Well, I just oh, noticed. Well. I just noticed that Carlin Ray are agreeing on something for the first time ever, and it's actually happening in the comments right now, live. What is, <laughs> what is it? What uh, they, they were agree- they were both agreeing that Eubank takes the fight, and uh, they they never they never they always batted heads uh, in their opinions. And I just think it's funny that I've just watched these guys both agree first time ever. <laughs> As 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 we as as we wind down here, uh, yeah. we have two minutes. We have two minutes left. One 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 of our biggest um, audience size cut that come in that tune into our show is actually from Nigeria, and I was speaking to a fellow not in Nigeria but in Ghana, a neighboring country, and he said boxing in West Africa is absolutely taking off. And if you take a look at the population base, I think it's like three hundred million in Nigeria, and maybe a hundred million uh, westward towards Senegal. But you've got a huge boxing uh, demographic, if you will, uh, that's not really been tapped into by the mainstream boxing promoters. Uh, what, what do you what do you think there? Do you think we we've got there's an opportunity? No there's there's no money there. The people are poor. It's not going to happen. 
The, the, the promoters go where the money is. They asked Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks? He said, that was where the money is. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's so true. Okay, so it, they're not going to go. There's no reason to go there. They're, they're going to go to Las Vegas. They're going to go to go to what was the Staples Center, which is crypto, whatever now. They're going to go to Madison Square Garden. They're going to go to the El, Elmo Dome in San Antonio. That's where they're going. They're not going to Nigeria. That won't happen. So that's an that's an issue. But listen, we got one more minute. Okay, I want to say thank you very much for having me on. Um, I'm as close to you as just like you got all contacted me. Um, I'm I'm available when you guys are. Um, if if I'm not at the fights on Friday night, which I don't go to fights that much, um, I'm available. And um, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, follow me on Twitter. It's uh, it's there's several fake Rick Laser accounts, but this is at real Rick Laser one, the numeral one. I have 4,100 followers, and I just went on Instagram. It's it's a uh, Rick Laser dot one. So cool. that's how to get a hold of me, and uh, you know, follow my stuff and what I'm all about. You know, and my website is uh, glazerboxing.com, appropriately called glazerboxing.com. <laughs> So real quick, I'll tell you guys a real quick funny story. You guys will really sure. like. I told my wife back a few years ago, you know, that when this the cash app started, he said, you know, they're sending me money for advice. Well, what do you give advice on? I said, I said, sex. Sex. <laughs> so she thought I was serious. Rick, that's where the money is. You, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks for coming on, man. Honestly, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here with you, fine gentlemen. I look forward to doing it again at, at, yes. at your leisure. Okay. Thanks very much, Rick. I would like to. I, I would like to get in touch with your amateurs and uh, maybe get them on my show uh, four o'clock uh, for an interview and talk to them. Yep. So uh, I'll, I'll get in touch. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the kid from Canada, you mean? Um, yeah. Uh, yes, okay, he's turning pro March 25th, so leading up to that event, get a hold of me, okay? Yeah, definitely, definitely I will. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, Thanks thank for joining you. us, Rick. Please Appreciate it. Enjoy the fights tomorrow night. Good yes, night. Definitely. We, we yes. always do. Well, that's, that, that was, was awesome. great. Having, having a legend like him here joining us, that was awesome. It's great. Uh, I can't wait to have him back. Uh, Carl Ray, thank you for tuning in, man. Always, you know, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. We love, we love all the camaraderie and and the back and forth. I uh, can't believe you guys actually uh, agreed on something. I, I'm surprised there. And uh, Graham, any last words before we get out of here? Uh, no, you know, the, the the one thing I was going to ask Rick was whether he had ever worked with Tim Witherspoon before. And uh, and lo and behold, I don't forget to ask the one question I was going to ask. So so we'll have to have we'll have to have Rick back on when Tim is uh, back. Tim's busy tonight, but but we'll have to get them both on talking about stories of Don King. Well, yeah, exactly. They they both work <laughs> with Don King, and and right. Rick 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 seems to think that Don's a good guy, and uh, you know yeah. Tim's had his issues with Don King, but we'll see. What, right. So anyway, so so anyway, for all, for all you boxing fans out there, I apologize for 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 forgetting that one key question, but that gives me a good excuse to bring Rick back uh, when we have Tim back in the studio as well. Definitely. So Definitely. go ahead, go ahead, take us out there, Mike. To all the fans watching around the world, thanks for tuning in to this wonderful episode again of the panel on Friday night, starring Graham and myself and our guest tonight, Rick Glazer. Who- Decided to stop by and join us. Uh, thanks to all the fans that are watching. Shout out to Carl, Ray, 
for all the comments and wonderful questions that we asked our guests. Guys, we'll see you next week. Same time, same channel, new topics. Absolutely.